Oral questions by members. Member for Prince George Wilmount. Across Canada, NDP leaders from Manitoba to Alberta, and even the federal NDP, all support cutting carbon taxes on home heating. And yet, this NDP Premier stands alone, stubbornly refusing to give people relief. Under his watch, British Columbia has become the most unaffordable province in the country, tightening the NDP's middle-class squeeze. British Columbians now pay the highest gas prices and gas taxes in North America. So why won't the Premier give people a break at the pump and cut the NDP's crushing taxes on fuel and home heating? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. There is no doubt people need help with costs, but the BC United plan is just the wrong approach. We can look to Alberta to see that the BC United leaders' approach to cutting gas taxes is only going to subsidize oil companies instead of helping people. And in fact, when Alberta introduced a similar cut, Jason Kenney admitted mm. that oil companies had hiked prices and they had wiped out any savings. So this is not an approach that's going to help people. They do have a plan. It's going to cost $5 billion, Mr. Speaker. So where's that money going to come from? The BC United Leaders plan doesn't help people with gas prices. It subsidizes big oil, and it's going to cost people more in service cuts and higher costs like ICBC. So, Mr. Speaker, this government will stay focused on supporting people to make the changes that they want to, keeping costs down across all facets of their lives. Prince George Wilmot Supplemental. Well, we're going to stand up every day and push this government to provide relief for the people of British Columbia. And to claim that tax relief doesn't actually help British Columbians is absurd. A blatant attempt to dodge and deny relief to people. Let's listen to expert analysis from Professor Trevor Toome. It shows, and I quote, full pass-through is crystal clear in the data when Alberta dropped its gas tax, end quote. Crystal clear. Gas in Calgary is 50 cents cheaper than in Vancouver, and yet this NDP Premier clings to debunked claims preferring weak excuses and political games over giving relief to British Columbians. How much longer will the Premier ignore the facts and deny people a break at the pumps and on home heating? Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, yes, the gas prices are hitting people. They're hitting families hard. And that's whether you're going to work or you're driving your kids to school. It's just about getting around in rural communities, especially, Mr. Speaker. That's why this government has taken action to reduce costs for drivers, reduced ICBC premiums by an average of $500 a year, plus multiple rebates for people. Significant. <laughs> Significant increase to the Climate Action Tax Credit, which puts the majority of the carbon tax right back into people's pockets. Mr. Speaker, the BC United Leaders' plan is going to give a subsidy to oil companies. It is not going to help people with gas prices. It's going to cost people in other ways, and we're going to continue to be here to support people. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. 
Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, if the minister would bother to go to the BCEC website that was set up to actually track gas prices, she would see that when the gas prices in Alberta started to go back up after the tax was removed, in BC, they actually went up by twice as much in that same time frame with the same taxes in place. It had nothing to do with taxation. It was the market fluctuating with the price at the pump. That is why we have committed to remove that 14.5 cents a litre, Mr. Speaker, because as families cancel travel plans, unaffordable highest gas prices and gas taxes in North America being the cause, the NDP, are jet-setting around to Geneva just this summer. A six-person NDP delegation flew out, including an administrative assistant and a ministerial aide for a minister that wasn't even there. Details on the full costs actually remain hidden for the rest of the delegation, uh, Mr. Speaker, but we do know the Attorney General alone racked up $2,700 in per diems. That's $360 a day, while over half of families are $200 shy of not paying their bills every month. This government felt that was appropriate. How can the Premier be so out of touch approving a $360 day meal allowance for an Attorney General when families back home can't even get a break from this government on home heating or gasoline taxes? Minister of Environment and Climate. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And there was a time when the members opposite actually readily admitted that putting a price on, on carbon was the most effective way to change behaviour and ensure that we took action on climate change. Climate change impacts that we're now seeing around the province, impacting industry, impacting agriculture, causing flooding, causing drought, causing a billion dollars in wildfire damage, and more. The story goes on. But, Honourable Speaker, the opposition likes to say that this government won't give British Columbians a break. Well, what does saving people $140 a year on hydro bills amount to? What does, what does reducing childcare costs by up to $900 a month amount to? What does reducing ICBC rates by $500 a year, an action that the opposition continues to oppose, mean, if not giving British Columbians a break? The list goes on, Honourable Speaker, but let's look at what the opposition did in government. They simply cut services, raised fees, and cut taxes for those at the top, the top 2%. Kamloops Northampton Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, when the Environment Minister got up, I had hopes he might be standing up to release the transparency report on the emissions in British Columbia that he hasn't reported on yet, but I guess he doesn't want to admit that emissions under his watch are going up in BC. Exactly. Mr. Speaker, we're talking about removing 14.5 cents at the pump immediately for British Columbians so they can have some affordability at the pumps, just like they do in Alberta, or removing the carbon tax on home heating. British Columbians are deciding right now between gas and groceries. The Attorney General and her entourage, however, were deciding between steak and lobster in Geneva. There was no pre-trip announcement, Mr. Speaker, no mention of BC on the agenda, no details on what was achieved during the Geneva setting, nothing. Nobody has even tried to explain why six taxpayer-funded emissaries were needed instead of only two or three. Despite this, 
the Geneva Jet Setting Junket was greenlit by the Premier himself. His signature is actually on the travel authorization form. Again, why is this out-of-touch Premier approving a Geneva jet setting trip for NDP elites while single mothers in British Columbia agonize over how much gas to put in their car and whether or not they can afford food at the grocery store? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. The uh, member opposite may want to focus on the carbon tax. I'd prefer to focus... I'd prefer to focus on the many, many, many measures this government has taken to reduce costs for British Columbians, to improve services for British Columbians. And as for emissions, Honourable Speaker, emissions in British Columbia have gone down since 2017, and they've gone down measured against 2007, between 2007 when they were on this side of the House and 2017 when they were replaced, emissions went up, Honourable Speaker. We're turning the corner despite the population in British Columbia going up significantly. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. The oil and gas industry must just be loving these debates since none of us are talking about their record-breaking profits and the damage that they're doing to the climate. The coastal gas link pipeline project, for example, has been a nightmare from the beginning. SWAT teams removing Indigenous people, predominantly elders and women, from their land at gunpoint. The cost ballooning from $6 billion to more than $14 billion. Construction permit violations that killed fish and their habitat. More than $800,000 in fines and non-compliance. With coastal gas links, there is a dangerous pattern of lax oversight that puts public safety and environmental protection at risk. We can look to the BC Energy Regulator for this. The regulator is both a one-stop shop for all approvals and in charge of keeping companies in line with the laws. And in BC, that energy regulator has an abysmal record of upholding their own laws. My question, Honourable Speaker, is to the Minister of Energy and Mines. Is the Minister satisfied with the BC Energy Regulator's compliance and enforcement of the Coastal GasLink project. Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you very much to the member opposite for the question. I know she understands that I and that we take compliance with environmental regulations and legislation extremely seriously. Our goal, of course, is to minimize impacts on the environment and to ensure that projects are moving ahead in accordance with the conditions of their assessment and in compliance with all of those laws and regulations, Mr. Speaker. The BC Energy Regulator works closely with the BC Environmental Assessment Office. They conduct inspections and they issue orders where necessary. If the orders aren't complied with, additional orders are issued and escalating administrative penalties are possibly levied, sometimes definitely levied. Between the two regulators, more than 600 inspections have taken place to date. They share responsibilities on the project. The two agencies are in regular contact with each other. And it's important, I think, for everybody to understand that regardless of the tool that is used, the focus is always on ensuring that the problems get resolved. So that means that not every issue meets the specific standard of noncompliance, Mr. Speaker, but the agencies work with the workers on the ground to resolve the issues as they arise. That is my expectation. That is the Minister of Environment's expectation. And that is what we are seeing. Do you draw a third party supplemental? Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I'll take that as a yes. 
The coastal gasoline pipeline has been an unmitigated disaster, and yet it gets worse. From a government whose premier said before he became premier that we cannot build any more fossil fuel infrastructure and meet our climate goals, there are already more pipelines that have been approved and waiting to be built, including Pacific Trails and Prince Rupert Gas Transmission Project. Before this government entertains more pipeline construction, they must address the failures of the regulator. Reports from the Prince Rupert Gas, gas Transmission Project show the proponent conducted poor archaeological work, placed the pipeline right of way through old growth deferral areas, and will cross countless salmon-bearing streams in the Skeena and Nass watersheds. We already saw the damage of coastal gas link to Wet'suwet'en territory, and now we're preparing for more damage from more pipelines, emitting more emissions when we are in a climate emergency. My question, to, to Honourable Speaker, is to the Ministry of Energy and Mines, setting aside the insanity of building more fossil fuel infrastructure. What does the Minister of Energy and Mines say to British Columbians who have no trust that the BC Energy Regulator will ensure that laws, regulations and conditions will be upheld during the construction of the Prince Rupert gas transmission pipeline? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, once again, I have to confirm that we take this issue of uh, meeting the requirements of environmental regulations and legislation extremely seriously. It is what British Columbians expect when projects like this, if a project like this takes place. And as I've explained, Mr. Speaker, the Environmental Assessment Office, the BC Energy Regulator, take those, take those obligations very seriously. They conduct them. They conduct the inspections. They issue the orders where they are necessary. The Environmental Assessment Certificate, of course, comes with a number of conditions that must be met. As the permits from the BC Energy Regulator, those conditions must be met as well. Mr. Speaker, we were talking about Coastal Gas Link, and since February 2022, more than $800,000 in fines have been issued to Coastal Gas Link because it shows that we must take, we must continue to take environmental protection extremely seriously. It's why we have brought in additional enforcement to Coastal Gas Link. It's the same type of uh, expression of, of a commitment that we would show to any future pipeline. Mr. Speaker, the member opposite is right to demand high environmental regulations. We take this very seriously. Those standards are high, and we're going to continue to meet them. Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker, and uh, you know I appreciate uh, the BC United supporting the Conservative position on the carbon tax, but that's not where I want to go with the question today. I'd like to talk for a second uh, about the virtue signaling that this NDP government uh, is doing. And I'll give you the example of that. In Surrey, they promised to get rid of portables. What we've seen is a growth in portables, double-decking portables, and now washrooms being added outdoors so that students don't even have to experience a real school but just their temporary schools. And Mr. Speaker, now we're hearing the same approach on, on housing. What we're seeing with this government is saying that they're going to have you know, up to four quads uh, on housing units, and uh, lots of people would like to, like to celebrate the fact that there's going to be more housing. But here's the challenge. There is no plan whatsoever for parks, for playgrounds, or for that matter, even something as basic as plumbing and meeting those needs. But the real issue that the mum has is parking. There is no plan whatsoever, Mr. Speaker, with this government's approach to increase parking or increase housing to deal with parking. 
Can you imagine, I walk down the streets in Vancouver or streets in communities around this province and they're jammed with cars and they want to quadruple the number of families living there with no plan for parking and no plan for transportation. So the question to the Minister of, of Housing is, what is the plan to deal with the, the congestion of, of transportation, the inability for parking, or will they just simply blame community for not meeting their needs? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you. Uh, Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I, I thank the, the member across the way for his question. Uh, no doubt, um, I think at least three parties in this place can agree that housing is a crisis and we need to find innovative solutions for more housing to be built. I'm not entirely sure of the, the Conservative Party's opinion on how to get housing built in communities, but I can say to the member that uh, his, uh, the premise of his question is incorrect. We laid out part of our legislation and on the day we announced it, that if, if a home is being built uh, and it's not close to transit, yes, we believe that parking needs to be there. We believe there needs to be a parking spot for a unit that's being built, Honourable Speaker. So the member is incorrect in his question. What we said, though, is as we get closer to transit, that requirement goes down because we want to encourage people to be able to take transit, and we know that people want to take transit, Honourable Speaker. So the member's uh, question, uh, I think, uh, is ill-informed, Honourable Speaker. Uh, we have said there's a path forward for more housing options to be available because we have people right now thinking about leaving this province because they can't afford to find a place here. And we have to find ways for housing to be built and it to be affordable, and this plan does that. Leader of the Fourth Party Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And well, um, the housing minister and I will obviously have to disagree because when I talk to mums that are struggling today to find parking, it's unimaginable what will happen when you have four times that many families living in the same area in terms of being able to have parking. But I want to, I want to ask the, uh, the minister this question. And, you know, both sides, the official opposition and, and the government, you know, like to talk about Taylor Swift and that side of thing. But I can tell you, the mum that has to deal with the day-to-day -day costs of groceries and the day-to-day -day costs of fuel in the tanks and inflation with rent increases, mortgage rates with, house, with uh, interest rates going up, they're not concerned about that. What they're concerned about is being able to get their kid to the hockey practice. And I know the minister himself has had experience in terms of sports, so maybe the minister can answer this question. What are you going to say to the mum when he gets all this increase in housing and the inability for parking and, and the congestion of getting around? What's he going to say to that mum when, when they need to take their twins to hockey and carry their hockey bags? Are they going to say, is he going to say to take transit? Or is he going to say, sorry, you're just not going to be able to do that because you don't have the mobility that you need and the freedom of movement in this, in this province. Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I, I, I agree with the member on one thing. We shouldn't be spending our time talking about Taylor Swift and where the Swifties will stay when they are coming to Vancouver uh, for, uh, for a concert. But uh, again, I think wisely that question was not asked today. Um, I'll say to the member, I'm not sure about that one mom that he spoke to. Uh, but I will say that we speak to families all the time. We speak to young families all the time. And they tell us that they need more housing options available to them. When a single family home comes down and only a single family home can be built, that just makes it too unaffordable for too many people to afford. And so, uh, although I appreciate the premise of the member's question, uh, I, I reject it because 
Part of our plan lays out that if you're building a, a fourplex or a threeplex, we believe, and you don't have close, you don't have access to transit, that you need a parking spot uh, per unit that's being built. But as you move closer to transit, people are making a choice to be able to use that transit, and the requirements should be less. And so um, I appreciate the member raising the question about housing, but I think the number one priority for us and the number one priority I hear from moms, single moms, is about affordable housing, not a parking spot that they need for their kids' hockey uh, practice. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As the Premier fuels inflation with a record $6.7 billion deficit, the NDP's middle-class squeeze tightens and the food bank demand has surged by nearly 60%. In March alone, 60,000 children in our province had no alternative but to rely on the food bank. Meanwhile, the Premier approves $360 worth of daily expenses for meals in Geneva. We have called for immediate relief at the grocery store, including cutting the fuel tax and eliminating the carbon tax on ranchers and farmers. Will the Premier cut taxes on groceries and rein in the NDP's extravagant Geneva meal expenses? Or will he allow the lines at BC's food banks to continue to grow at record paces? Minister of Social Development. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We all want people to have access to nutritious, affordable food. Um, and the hit that has been caused by the impact of global inflation has been extremely hard for people around the world, uh, global forces beyond our control. What we can control, though, is income supports in people's pockets, which is why we have increased the minimum wage, which is why we've increased social assistance rates, why we've invested in childcare. But, but in relation to food security, our support for food emergency serving organizations, food banks across the province, is unprecedented. Uh, together with the Agriculture Minister and the Premier in March, we announced an unprecedented $200 million of investment in food security, both on the growing side and the food provision side. We're working with food banks across the entire province to invest in food security infrastructure and direct service provision in order to contend with the terribly increased cost of food right now. Member Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The this minister uses the word unprecedented in this house. Right now, what's unprecedented is the number of people that are relying on the food bank. 60,000 kids using the food bank. That is unprecedented. And that is unacceptable. And for this minister to sit here and use terms like that is inexcusable. We are seeing record surges of nearly 60%. 60,000 kids relying on the food bank. And what do we see? We see on the weekend Colleen Sparks from the Mustard Seed in Victoria saying, I quote, we have families that are coming in that probably would never have used the food bank before, end quote. Dual income families are using the food bank. British Columbians in every single province are record numbers of the food bank right now. We are talking about relief at grocery stores. And this minister does a victory lap on food banks. When will this premier wake up and listen and provide British Columbians the relief that they deserve? 
Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The impact of global inflation on the price of food uh, is something that is hitting everybody very hard, vulnerable people especially. Uh, it is the, it is the terribly increased uh, impact and the, on food serving providers. The cost of food has diminished food donations to food banks, and there are more people lining up for the cost of food. We cannot control the, the prices at the grocery store, but we can control investing in people's direct income, and we can invest in food serving organizations, food security organizations. That's why we're the first place to invest in school food programs. That's in our budget now. That's why we funded uh, and asked uh, First Nations Summit to distribute on our behalf uh, a food, First Nations Wellbeing Fund. That's why our, through our agriculture department, we're investing in indigenous food sovereignty. That's why the United Way is implementing with us $7.5 million in direct food support to, uh, to food hubs. That's why through Food Banks BC, we're funding $15 million to support food bank organizations across the entire country, uh, the entire province, uh, to be able to help um, with the exact kind of support that the member is requesting. That's what we do. We invest in people, and we're going to keep doing it. Member for Kelowna Mission. Well, the, the minister speaks of global inflation, but 10 out of the last 15 months, BC has outstripped Canadian average inflation, which means you're not doing a great job. Families can't even afford the essentials anymore under this NDP government. Bill, a constituent writes, and I quote, one would think that getting a raise at work would allow for some disposable income. This is the farthest from reality. It doesn't even cover the increased cost of fuel, let alone the rising cost of everything else. Now, more money is going out each pay period than coming in." End quote. This is the reality of the NDP's middle-class squeeze. Meanwhile, the Premier signs off on $360 per day meal tab for the NDP in Geneva, which, amazingly, no one has gotten up to actually address. As families like Bill's struggle, how can the Premier justify the NDP's Geneva jet setting instead of giving families a break on home heating and gasoline? All comments through the chair, please. Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I think we all recognize in this, in this House that uh, global inflation and high interest rates are squeezing household budgets in the province, right across the province. But instead of giving high uh, tax breaks to the very wealthy in this province, we are actually taking action to help people with costs. And, ex and we are doing exactly that with our BC Family Benefit. This summer, we... This summer, we permanently boosted the BC Family Benefit up $250 for families with two kids, and we added $500 for single parents for a top-up for single parents because we recognize how difficult it can be. It's, that is affecting 75% of, of the families in our province, Mr. Speaker. It's benefiting them, and we have heard 
from parents about how important this is. Uh, I talked to Charla Huber, a parent who said, I've always been my daughter's sole supporter. Having access to supports like the BC Family Benefit was so important to us in the earlier years and helped ease the financial stress as a single mother. The extra money has gone a long way in helping me get to the place I am today and build a good life for me and my daughter. Mr. Speaker, we are going to continue to support people. We are not going to make cuts to services and we are not going to increase taxes to ordinary British Columbians. Opposition House Leader. Well, Mr. Speaker, uh, what we've heard here today is reflective of a government that is increasingly out of touch with the, the realities of British Columbians struggling. They're struggling, and I hear laughs on the other side. Like, like how pathetic can that be? There are British Columbians that, that are, are making the painful choice every single day about whether they put fuel into their vehicle, put fresh uh, food on the table for their kids, or pay their heating bill. Those are the choices that British Columbians are making. The minister stands up and she says, oh, uh, you know, we provide a $200 credit here and a $500 credit there. After they've, after they've increased taxes, 29 new and increased taxes. We have, we have other ministers uh, touting uh, enhanced supports for food, for food banks. Maybe it would be good if you recognize that British Columbians would like to go into a grocery store and actually buy healthy food for their kids and for their families. But the reality is that 50% uh, uh, plus of British Columbians are $200 away from not being able to, to make their monthly uh, payments. That's the reality. Now, we heard about Bill a moment ago, and Bill's story is not unique. It's the new normal under the NDP. In fact, an additional 32,000 British Columbians are now forced into juggling multiple jobs thanks to the NDP's middle-class squeeze. The only thing growing under the NDP is the bloated size of government, with 121,000 more public sector positions over the last five years. Now that compares to only 22,000 private sector jobs that have been created under the NDP over the last five years. I know the government doesn't want to hear this. The NDP have created one, one private sector job for every five public sector jobs in the last five years. Members, so Mr. Speaker, us, my question is this, why? Members. Why does the, uh, the Premier prioritize record-breaking expansion in the size of government, inflationary deficits and Geneva jet-setting over giving people an actual break on their fuel and their home heating bills? Answer that question for us today, will you? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and if you want to talk about out of touch, let's talk about a former government that cut services to people, that cut nurses, that cut teachers, that cut supports to doctors in this province. Now, I'm talking about services that people rely on in this province. He talks about the... Members, members. He talks Members. about the public sector like it was some bad thing, that it's terrible that we, have, we are increasing public sector workers in this province. You know, let's talk to some Members. of the people in the gallery today to Members. see if, they, if they're upset about increasing public sector. that had their wages cut, that had their benefits cut, that had their employment cut by the members opposite. Thousands of women, thousands of women had their jobs cut because people, that they wanted to give tax cuts, but not to ordinary British Columbians. They gave them to the top 2% in this province. We are increasing employment.
employment in this province. In fact, there are more private sector jobs being increased in the last year than there were public sector, in fact. The member has his facts wrong. Mr. Speaker, what's incredibly frustrating is the lack of attention to what these people are saying about supports for people, because we on this side are going to continue to support people. We are going to continue to ensure people are getting the services they need. We are going to continue to ensure we are Members. not increasing taxes for people. We are actually cutting taxes, and we are not going to in, uh, cut taxes for the top 2 percent in this province, which is what we are not doing, and that is something the opposite will do. The bell and the question period.